I'd invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. This is really kickoff Sunday, isn't it? Sunday schools, home groups, and we're back in Matthew in this chapter 12 that is before us. The title of the message this morning is The Legalist Versus the Merciful. The Legalist Versus the Merciful. I was lying in bed Friday night uh, beside my wife, Kim, and, and uh, she said, did you, did you finish your sermon? And I said, well, almost. And, and then there was this pause, and, and then I said, the title is The Legalist Versus the Merciful. And then there was this long pause, and I said, it's basically me versus you. <laughs> And she said, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) But because she's merciful, she didn't say it, see. Can you see the legalism in yourself? That's where I began this morning. Can you see the legalism in yourself? It is, uh, I will confess, easy to miss. We all have occasional blind spots, even the most merciful among us has the occasional blind spot of self-righteousness. Even believers, committed believers, godly believers can become trapped by religious traditions. We can become mired in myopic policies. We can even take precious personal convictions and become bound to them. Uh, become handcuffed by them. In fact, I've observed in my own heart and in my own life, sometimes those who think they are the most godly among us are the most legalistic. They're on the wrong side of this continuum. And they don't even know it. Today we are going to contrast differences between the legalist and the merciful. Between the Pharisees, historically, and Jesus and his followers. And we need this. We, Kerrville Bible Church, needs this. I need this. We need to be graciously exposed by the Word of God. We then need to be convicted by the Spirit of God. But we don't want to be left there, do we? That's a place of hopelessness. We also need to have hope this morning. We need to be given hope this morning from the word of God that we can, in fact, change. That the legalist can become the merciful. That the merciful can become more merciful. Historically, we go back to the time frame when Jesus burst onto the scene. Jesus, who is mercy personified, right? Jesus, who is the embodiment of the mercy of God for sinners. And he burst onto the scene and he flew right into a hornet's nest of legalists. He flew right into a group of men called the Pharisees. And from the very beginning of his public ministry, not long after his baptism, it began a three-year ongoing conflict between the lowly And gentle Jesus. And a group of judgmental, hypocritical, hair-splitting Pharisees. And this conflict would consummate at the cross. It would end at the torturous execution of the lowly and gentle Jesus. 
Now, at the forefront of this conflict was the Sabbath. This Jewish institution of one day a week, for them it was sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. And this was the Jewish Sabbath. And it was a very big deal. It controlled the rhythm of their lives. This Sabbath day that God had established for his people was their sign of being the people of God. It was a marker for them. It was a boundary that set them off from the pagan unbelieving Gentiles. This Jewish Sabbath meant everything to their culture, to their society, to their way of life. It's how they connected primarily to Moses. It's how they identified as those being in the Mosaic Covenant. It's how they identified nationally. It would be like our flag. It would be like our Pledge of Allegiance or, or July the 4th. It's how they recognized we are Jews. And so it was a very big deal. In fact, it's the fourth commandment, as we saw in the scripture reading. It was rooted in creation itself. And so this goes all the way back to the to the six literal historical days of creation. And the God rested on the seventh day. He used that as a pattern. He established that as a Sabbath for his people. They were so very serious about it. And God was so very serious about it. That violation came with the threat of a death penalty. A death penalty for working on the Sabbath. And there's actually an example of that in the Old Testament where this happened. So we need to try to understand the mindset of these people and how critical and crucial this day was. But like everything they touched, the Pharisees, the separated ones, they had corrupted the Sabbath. They had taken God's simple law, God's gift to his people. That was to be an expression of God's mercy for them, right? Here is a day of rest. You got to scratch and claw and work to survive six days a week in their society, right? In an agricultural based society without all the modern conveniences of life. And God says to his people, here's a gift for you. We're going to shut everything down one day out of seven and you get to rest from your toil. But the separated ones came along and they layered all kinds of man-made laws on top of God's simple law. They put all kinds of traditions and all kinds of extra things on top of it. They turned the day of rest into a club to beat people into submission. It became the very means by which the Pharisees would control the populace. Would control the synagogue and everyone's way of life. Jesus, of course, knew the true intent of the Sabbath. Jesus, of course, loved the true intent and spirit of the Sabbath. And so when he comes on the scene, he intentionally pushed back. And I mean, he pushed back hard. And so you will find throughout the Gospels, not only is there a general theme of conflict and opposition between Jesus and the Pharisees, right? There's this general growing rejection that always in each Gospel culminates at the cross. But... Even within that, that conflict is often found on the Sabbath, right? And that is the case today. Let me read the text for you then. It's Matthew 12, 1 to 14. Matthew 12, 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. 
But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him before the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. The word Sabbath is used in this passage eight times. It ties it all together. It shows us that it is a unit of thought. The text idea then of that passage I just read is simply this in one sentence. Matthew recounted Sabbath day battles between the legalistic Pharisees And the merciful Jesus. And if I was going to preach that, that would become a history lesson. That would become kind of a lecture. We got these Pharisees, they lived 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, and here's this conflict. And that's certainly the text idea. But we need to bring it forward 21 centuries. We need to bring it forward to our time frame. And so here is the sermon idea. Using Sabbath day battles between Pharisees and Jesus, Matthew 12, 1 to 14, illustrates the differences between the legalist and the merciful in every generation. The differences, the contrast between the legalist and the merciful in every generation. My goal and purpose and prayer this morning is for God to change the way you think And the way you feel and the way you behave toward those in need. To change the way we think, feel and behave toward those in need. My goal in prayer this morning is that God would promote mercy in Kerrville Bible Church. Is that God would in and through us cause us to become a merciful kind of people. Following Christ. The outline this morning is this. Three differences then between the legalist and the moralist. Three differences between the legalist and the moralist. Difference number one. The merciful makes room for special circumstances. But the legalist is bound to man-made rules. We see this in verses one to six. The merciful makes room for special circumstances, but the legalist is bound to man-made rules. So we pick it up in verse 1, and it was about at that time, after at the time that Jesus had been uh, roughly teaching what he had been teaching at the end of chapter 11. 
that Jesus and his disciples began to walk through a grain field, which was very common occurrence in their day. The little paths would go right through the fields. They would grow crops right up to the edges of the roads and the paths. And so they're walking along and it's a Sabbath day. Perhaps it's, you know, sometime in the morning. Perhaps they haven't had breakfast. They're hungry and they're, the disciples then begin to pluck or to pick heads of grain and to eat it. Then verse 2, we see that even as they began, the Pharisees pounce. Now, why are the Pharisees in a grain field on the Sabbath? <laughs> and there aren't many Pharisees in Galilee. Well, because they're lurking in the shadows. Jesus is in their crosshairs. They are spying. They are lurking. They are just looking for a reason to pounce on him. And lo and behold, they have it. They jump all over Jesus, who's responsible for the behavior of his disciples. Even if he's not doing it himself, he probably was. But even if he's not, they are and he's allowing it. And they say, behold, or look, your your disciples do what is not lawful. This is illegal. This is wrong. And they're doing it on a Sabbath. Now, this is very interesting because what they were actually doing was perfectly legal. According to Deuteronomy 23, 25, you could do this on the Sabbath. You could pick grain and you could eat it with your hands. What you could not do was wield a sickle. You couldn't start harvesting. You couldn't start working for profit. The, the, the prohibition was you, you don't get to crank up your combine and start driving through the field. But if you're hungry and you can go into anybody's field, this is what Deuteronomy 23, 25 said. You could also go into an orchard. You could pick another person's grapes. You can't put them in a basket. You can't harvest. You're not stealing. You're just taking what is rightfully yours according to God's law. So this is perfectly legal. But they say it's not lawful. Well, not lawful according to who? According to them. According to their oral tradition in the Mishnah. According to their man-made rules. Pharisees had 39 categories of actions that were illegal on the Sabbath. Not 39 actions, 39 categories. Hundreds of things that you could not do on the Sabbath that becomes work in their minds. So what they see is happening here in their mindset is the plucking is reaping. The rubbing in your hands, which they would have done, Luke tells us that in the same account. The rubbing it in their hands is threshing and the blowing away the chaff is winnowing. And so the Pharisees see this, say, oh, your disciples are reaping, threshing and winnowing. They're working on the Sabbath. That is because the legalist is bound to myopic man-made rules. But the merciful makes room for special circumstances. Special situations. And so Jesus in verse 3 is going to illustrate this principle with a story from the Old Testament. It's from 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. And we won't go there. I'm going to summarize it for you. This is the story when David is on the run from King Saul. David has already been anointed the king, called by God to be the king, but Saul is not going to go quietly and he's trying to kill David and pursue David and David's running for his life and he's got some young men with him. And he comes to the little town or village called Nob, about a mile south of Jerusalem. 
And he comes there to the tabernacle. And there in the tabernacle is Ahimelech, the priest. And David and his young men, they are weak with hunger. They are famished. They are desperate. We might even say they're starving to death. And they come into the situation and David says to Ahimelech, the priest, can I have five loaves of ordinary bread or really whatever you have around or whatever may be found? And Ahimelech says, well, we don't have any ordinary bread. All we have is the consecrated bread. All we have is the show bread, the bread of the presence that stays there in the tabernacle. Now, if you're not familiar with what this was, every Sabbath, the priest would replace the showbread in the tabernacle. And there were 12 loaves, one for each tribe. They would bake hot bread, put the hot bread out as the showbread. And then the priest and the priest alone could eat the week old bread that had been there, the 12 loaves. And so Ahimelech says, that's all we have is that bread. Perhaps it was a Sabbath. We're not told. But only the priest could eat it. Only priests of the tribe of Levi. But David is not a priest. David is of the tribe of Judah. And that's what Jesus means here. He says it was not lawful for David to eat this bread. This bread to David. And who knows what tribe these men are from. This bread is off limits. This is special bread. Consecrated bread. Holy bread. Under normal circumstances David you cannot have this bread. But these are not normal circumstances for three reasons. Number one, he's running for his life. Number two, they're famished. They're hungry. Number three, it's the king. Hello. (laughs) This is the king. So because of these special circumstances. Ahimelech gives David the consecrated bread. David eats it. The young man with him eats it. And there is no condemnation in the story whatsoever. God does not strike anybody dead. Nobody falls uh, you know, away with leprosy. There's no judgment of God. There's nothing in the text whatsoever that says this was a problem. And so Jesus uses this to illustrate the merciful can understand special circumstances where the legalist just gets bound up in laws and rules. You see, a legalist will make a rule for everything. They'll have a policy for every situation. And then they're bound to them. And then they can't bend, they can't flex. But the merciful just kind of takes life as it comes. The merciful makes room then for special needs and special circumstances. Let me illustrate a couple of ways. This is why a a merciful mom with four young children would never say, (laughs) would never say, I'm busy. Do not bother me under any circumstances. (laughs) First of all, they wouldn't even understand what under circumstances means. But but a merciful, wise mom would never do that, right? They, They would never have such a rule. I'm busy. Do not ever bother me. Here's another one. This is more personal for me. I I have a a very strong personal conviction regarding hitchhikers. Uh, My personal conviction is I do not pick up hitchhikers. Um, I I see a hitchhiker and and somebody wanting to ride in my car. And and I say to myself, why should I pay the gas and and buy the car and and do the upkeep and, and pay for the insurance so that you 
can have a free ride. Right. And and so I have this person and there's other things. Safety, of course, is the main one. Uh, you, you have no idea what you're getting into. It's a huge, huge step of faith. But I have this personal conviction. And by and large, this is a rule of my life. Driving down the interstate, I'm not going to pick up a hitchhiker. Similar to that rule is I do not give cash to someone begging. Uh, I will try to buy food or give them food or figure that out. But I don't want to give cash to someone begging because I really got burned extremely bad doing that once. But it would be wrong for me and it would be too legalistic. It would be too much bound to my rules for me to say I will never, ever under any circumstances pick up a hitchhiker. Right. That would be stupid. There can be a situation where I would let that rule go go to the wayside, right? There could be a situation where God says, you must do this in faith. Jesus goes on then and gives another example in verses 5 and 6. So he gave an example from a story in the Old Testament. The next example is going to be from the law of the Old Testament. Look at verses 5 and 6. Have you not read in the law? Well, of course they have. They've read the Bible. They knew the Bible. They just hadn't really understood it. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break, it's literally profane or desecrate the Sabbath and they are innocent. What is he talking about here? Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and are innocent? Well, it's just like a preacher preaching on Sundays to a congregation saying to the congregation, you need to take the day off and come to church. Oh, what about you, preacher? This is different. This is different. I get to work on the Sabbath, just like the priest did in the in the temple, so to speak. So all he's referring to here is that they're offering sacrifices. They're doing their work. They're doing their labor as priests. They do it on the temple and everybody's perfectly fine with it, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a obvious. And then look at verse 7. Now verse 6. But I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple. What does this refer to? It refers to Jesus himself and his teaching and his miracles and the kingdom offer and his interpretation of the law of God as the final arbiter of the law of God. It's everything wrapped up in the coming of the Messiah. When he says something greater than the temple is here, he means himself and his ministry and his message. But that will stop us in our tracks. If you want to just pause for a moment and consider what he is saying in, in verse 6, this is an out outlandish, astonishing statement. Something greater than the temple is here. Let's think about that. The temple is where God dwelled. The temple is where you had the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah glory of God behind the veil. The temple had the Ark of the Covenant, had the cherubim. The temple was this you know, wonder of the world. It's what set Judaism apart. It was the core and the soul of their, of their religious and faith practice. The temple had the altar, the sacrifices, the priests singing God's praises, the people in prayer, the altar of incense rising up to God as a symbol of their prayer. The, the temple was where people would come with their guilt, with their animal, lay their hands on it, have the sense of God's forgiveness of their sins. 
What an astonishing statement that he would say something greater than the temple is here. This is nothing less than a bold claim to deity. This is nothing short of Jesus Christ saying, I am Yahweh in human flesh. I am the temple of God. I am tabernacling among you. John 1. This is an astonishing statement. Basically, Jesus is arguing this way. If the work of the temple that the priests perform is greater than the Sabbath rules of do not work on the Sabbath. And if I am greater than the temple, then what he is saying is my ministry is greater than Sabbath rules. What I do is more important than Sabbath laws. You know what he's doing? He's basically saying, I set aside your 39 categories. We need to be very careful making rules that can't flex for special circumstances that call for mercy. I'm not targeting anyone this morning except myself. (laughs) Preaching, uh, I was thinking about this illustration with football. You know, you got this new rule. It's a good rule. They've had it a few years now called targeting. You know, you can tackle the person, but you can't targeting. And when when it's a targeting, the ref will do this. You know, that's when you, you try to hit the guy's head. You target with your head to his head. And I thought about that with preaching. You know, you, you, you might get tackled this morning, but, but I'm not going to target you. Right? Targeting myself. Do you have special rules in your life, inflexible rules that just can't yield to special circumstances, to the need of the moment, to the situation of the person that calls for mercy? We need to be very, very careful about that. That's difference number one. Difference number two really flows right from number one. The merciful shows compassion for human need where the legalist simply judges. The merciful shows mercy. The merciful demonstrates compassion for human need where the legalist simply judges. Verses seven and eight. Jesus said, if you've known what this is, if you know what this means, of course, they knew of Hosea 6, 6, but they didn't understand it. God speaking in Hosea 6, 6 says, I desire compassion. God speaking says, I long for mercy. God says, I will that you show pity to one another and not a sacrifice. That's Hosea 6, 6. And Jesus has already referred to it in Matthew 9, 13. The second time now he brings this up to the Pharisees. And this is not an absolute. This is relatively speaking. When God says, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. Well, it was God who desired the sacrifices. So it's not an absolute. It's God saying, if I had to choose between one or the other. It's God saying, there is a priority here. There is something more important than your burnt offering. There's something more important than your one-year-old unblemished sheep that you're bringing to the temple. And what is more important is that you treat one another with mercy, with compassion. That's what God says, I desire. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, to these learned men who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Who had huge, huge sections of it memorized. 
He says to them, if you had known what this means, you would not have condemned the innocent. This whole thing back in verse 2 was you condemning the innocent. My disciples are innocent. Back off. (laughs) And then verse 8. Just another mic drop. (laughs) For the Son of Man, the Daniel 7 Son of Man, the one who is going to have the kingdom, the, the one who is Son of God, Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. The merciful shows compassion for human need where the legalist simply judges. You see, the legalist here, like the Pharisee, doesn't understand the Bible, really, and they don't feel compassion. So their reflex is judgment, it's criticism, it's condemnation. That's the reflex of the legalist. But the merciful see the whole counsel of God. They see the big picture. The merciful feel compassion for those in need. The merciful have a heart that goes out to others. They have a heart. And they seek to help, not condemn. They seek to comfort, not criticize. Let me give some illustrations. The legalist sees people lined up for a food giveaway... And thanks to himself, well, if those people would work as hard as they make the effort to get free food, maybe they wouldn't need free food. If the legalist sees the food giveaway on Methodist encampment with cars lined up to go to Mount Wesley there, and the first car in the line every single time, it's once a month, So the San Antonio Food Bank brings this huge food delivery once a month and cars line up there all the way up the hill and they line up all the way down through the intersection. It's it's a mile of cars. And they don't even start giving out the food until 9 o'clock. And I walk there early in the mornings and there's cars there starting at 6.30. And the first car every single time is an Acura. And the legalist says and thinks, wow, maybe if you hadn't spent the money on the car or maybe if you would you know get up this early and go to work uh, or or maybe if you would uh, you know grow a garden the merciful says man I wonder what the story is here I wonder if somebody died I, I wonder if they've just fallen on hard times I wonder if somebody got sick and they've spent all their money on medical bills I wonder what the story is here. I wonder how I could pray for this person. I wonder if I should walk over there and just strike up a conversation. The legalist sees an illegal immigrant or hears about an illegal immigrant and says, out of here. Let's round them all up, every single one of them, without exceptions. Let's get them out of here. They're illegals. They're breaking the law. They don't belong here. They don't deserve to be here. Get them on the buses. Get them back across the border. That's what the legalist thinks. The merciful says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is way more complex than that. Wait a minute. Let's, let's slow down. Let's think this through. Let's, let's, let's be more discerning. 
Let's look at individual situations. Let's have laws that allow for immigrants to easily become citizens. Let's let's make this uh, an easier process. Let's let's get the criminals in jail or across the border. But but people who are here working and, and serving and married and families and so forth. This is a very complex issue. Let's back off and let's see where we would show mercy. The legalist sees unruly kids at church, you know, doing somersaults over the pews, crawling under the pews during the sermon, you know, repelling out of the balcony, you know. <laughs> the legalist sees some unruly kids and thinks, well, those people need to get their kids under control. There's a house without discipline. What the heck is going on there? And the merciful says, I wonder how I could befriend that young mother. The merciful says, I wonder who we could how we could come alongside and and befriend and love and pray with and and disciple instead of criticizing and judge and say, I wish you weren't here. Let me touch on one more that I need to touch on because it's come up a few times now in our church family and it grieves me and it actually angers me a little bit. It's the issue of the mask. <laughs> the legalist sees a mask at church and asks, why are you wearing a mask? The legalist sees a mask and says, well, that person doesn't have faith. The legalist sees a mask and says, well, I don't understand why that's happening. Didn't you hear the pastor? Well, the pastor actually said there will be no judgment here for people who want to wear a mask. You will not ever be required to wear a mask, nor will you be looked down upon for wearing a mask. See, the merciful ignores the mask. The merciful doesn't even see the mask. The merciful thinks, I'm sure they have a very valid reason to wear a mask. It's not my business if this person wants to wear a mask. I don't care if you wear a mask the rest of your life. I don't care if you wear a mask every flu season. It becomes completely irrelevant to the merciful. And it's not going to become a measure of spirituality and whether a person has faith or not. And so we just need to keep our mask comments to ourselves. All right? The merciful shows compassion for human need where the legalist simply judges. I love verse 8 though. Verse 8 is just this concluding bombshell. This is Jesus saying to these Pharisees, look, I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath because I invented it. I made the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. You're going to challenge me, the Lord, on some myopic minutia of your man-made tradition? When I'm the one who gave that law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And because he is the merciful one, because he is the one who invented it, because he knows why he invented it. Because this would be the same Jesus who would say, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He knows how to show compassion then for human need. The Sabbath itself is an act of compassion. Difference number three. Difference number three, the merciful does good right now. Where the legalist feels restrained to wait. This is verses 9 to 13. Let me say it again. These are principles now. We're looking at the differences between the merciful and the legalist. This is a general principle. The merciful 
will seek to do good right now where the legalist always feels restrained. Look at verse uh, 9 now. We change scenes. This is actually, according to Luke, a different Sabbath. It's not even the same day. And the scene shifts from the grain field to the synagogue. Verse 9, departing from there, he went into their synagogue. Whose synagogue? The Pharisees' synagogue. It was their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. Paralyzed. Dried up. Luke tells us it was his right hand. It was his dominant hand. So just... Just, he's just got a hand that's useless. He can't pick up paper. He can't work. He can't do anything with his dominant right hand. And he's here now in the synagogue. And, and he's in a culture and he's in a society, listen, where everyone worked with their hands. This is a severe, debilitating, emotionally and spiritually and physically crippling handicap for this man. It is Devastating his life. And these legalists are likely, well, they're obviously baiting Jesus, but they may have planted this man in the synagogue on this particular Sabbath. It may be a, a case of entrapment. Because they initiate this, the man was there and they question Jesus. They challenge Jesus. They say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Why? So that they might accuse him. Again, remember that if you profane the Sabbath, the death penalty applies. There's the possibility of the death. They want to destroy Jesus. They want to trap him in this situation. And you say, what is going on here? Do these people not have a heart at all? Here's what's going on. Their oral tradition. One of the things they layered on top of God's law is you can do medical work, you can do healing, you can care for somebody's physical needs on the Sabbath, only if it's a life or death situation. If it's life or death, if it's an emergency of emergencies, yes, you can do it on Sabbath, but anything else, you can't do it on the Sabbath. You've got to wait till tomorrow. You've got to wait till tomorrow. They're basically saying to this man with the withered hand, uh, come back tomorrow and have your life completely changed. Oh, maybe Jesus will be around. Maybe he won't. We don't know. But that's when you're going to have to have your life completely restored. They are bound then by this stupid man-made rule that is restraining them from doing good right now. The need is here right now. (laughs) Why are we going to wait? And so they're trying to trap Jesus. Now, Jesus will then use logic on them. He'll use their own behavior against them. Verse 11 What man is there among you, among you Pharisees? Here's a common practice among you. If you have a sheep, one sheep, just one, and it falls into a pit, and it happens to do so on the Sabbath. Poor sheep, bleeding sheep, dumb sheep, falls into a hole. What are you going to do, Pharisee? You're not going to leave him there 24 hours, helpless, bleeding, crying for help. You're going to do whatever it takes to get that sheep out of that pit. You're going to go in. You're going to cradle that sheep. You're going to lift that sheep, show compassion to it. You're going to take it out and you're going to do so on the Sabbath. This was a common practice. A smelly sheep gets an immediate rescue. A human being with a withered hand is told to come back tomorrow. That's the legalist. The merciful wants to do the good right now. The merciful, when you notice the withered hand at church 
and you can do something about it, do it. Do it right then. You can do it right then. Don't be like the legalist. The legalist is guarded. The legalist is reserved. The legalist is restrained. The legalist holds back. No, we want to look to Jesus who is the merciful one and make the call, pray the prayer, include the person, invite them along, come along beside them. Whatever the need of the moment calls for, live in the moment. (laughs) Live in the moment and be the merciful Then to illustrate, to illustrate that mercy is not all talk, <laughs> to illustrate that mercy is about action, it's not just a feeling, it's not just a warm fuzzy. And to illustrate that he's Lord of the Sabbath, to validate that I am the Lord of this law, I am the Lord of this day, I am the Lord of all of God's commandments, to validate that, to show these Pharisees, hey, I understand Hosea 6.6 6, where you don't. <laughs> And to show them that I came to fulfill the law, not ignore it. Verse 13. This is one of the most understated miracles in Matthew. It's almost beside the point, but it validates and authenticates and does all of those things. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the others. Matthew wants us to know it was so amazing. He tells us three times. The word restored means it was cured to normal means it's like it was before it was damaged. And then like the others, now it's like the left hand. He wants us to know three different times that this man was healed. And at this point, you know, in a perfect world, the Pharisees would fall on their knees and they would repent of their hard-heartedness. They would confess their sins of being legalist and they would cry out to Jesus to change their hard, hard hearts. But that's not what happens. Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and they plotted and they planned and they conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. This is like a clandestine meeting of angry mob bosses. Picture it in your mind. The mob in their little seedy hotel room gathering together to plot and to conspire And here is the conclusion they reach. Jesus must go or we lose our entire way of life. And so in an act of self-preservation of their power, their fame, their prestige, they make a formal decision here in verse 14. They make a formal declaration. We are going to kill him. The only questions left are when and How? But the decision is made right here. Don't miss this. This is how far legalism can take you. This is how hard it can make your heart. Don't miss this. They conspire to break the sixth commandment over finer points of Sabbath tradition. Right? You shall not murder. They plan to murder. Fellow disciples then of the merciful one. Listen, we can and we must choose a different path than the legalist path. 
the path of mercy, the path of making room for special circumstances, the path of giving compassion instead of condemnation and the path of helping today, right now, not tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Help when the need is in front of you. So where's our hope then? Where's hope for the legalist? Where's the place where we can find change, even as believers, on this continuum, right? Far, hardcore legalism over here to merciful over here. It's a spectrum. How can we move in that direction? Where's the answer? Where's the solution? Where is the hope for us? Well, let's go back to the end of chapter 11 and see these verses now in this context. Here's the answer for your legalistic heart. Come to me, verse 28. All who are weary of being legalistic, all who are worn out and heavy laden by the burden of condemning others, come to me and I will give you rest. I will rescue you from you. I will change your heart, Jesus is saying. I will give you rest from this burden that you carry. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. It's a loving yoke. It's a merciful yoke. It's a comfortable yoke. Take it upon you and learn from me. Be my disciple. Be my follower. I'm a merciful one for I am gentle and humble in heart. He could have just as easily said, I am merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So here's the invitation. Here's the solution. Here's what fixes us. Here's how we grow in mercy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Look how I respond. Look how I interact. I am gentle. I'm lowly. I'm humble. And you will find rest for your souls. Because there is no rest for the legalist. Verse 30. My yoke is what? Easy. My burden is light. Now let me illustrate it with this story and this contrast between the legalist and the merciful. Let's pray. Father, your word is a, a piercing, sharp, two-edged sword. And it exposes uh, us and it reveals our hearts to ourselves, what you already know. And we need this, Lord, from time to time. We need to have our sin called out by your word. It needs to be brought to our attention. We see this not as a way that you want to beat us down, but as a way that you're actually showing us mercy. It's very merciful of you to convict a sinner of their sin. And I, for one, thank you. Father, my prayer is that we would take these principles and these lessons to heart, that we would be able to discern in our own lives where we're being legalistic and where we're being merciful, that we would move away from the mindset and the worldview of the Pharisees and move toward the mindset and the worldview of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.